Hello there. This is CSW, creator of Incarnation Red. If you enjoy Incarnation Red and want to help keep it going, support the show on Patreon via the link listed in the episode notes down below. In return, you'll receive a variety of perks ranging from a monthly Q&A slash horror gaming livestream to a chance of having a mini-episode made based off of you and your fears released on the main RSS feed for everyone to hear. Additionally, all patrons receive access to an exclusive patron-only Discord server where you can chat with fans and myself, watch live streams of pre-release episode editing, and join in on regular horror movie nights. I rely on your support to keep the show going, so any amount, no matter how small, will help me bring you more scary stories more often. Link is in the episode notes down below. Additionally, if you are a fan of audio drama podcasts in general and want early access releases plus bonus content from Incarnation Red, absolutely sign up for Apollo Plus, a creator-owned platform where every subscriber helps audio fiction creators for just $10 a month. You can think of Apollo Plus almost as the Netflix of audio dramas, offering exclusive content, ad-free and early access releases, behind-the-scenes content, supercuts, and a whole, whole lot more, all by supporting the creators you already know and love. With Apollo Plus, 70% of the revenue goes directly to us creators and provides all of us, both creator and listener, with a place to enjoy the shows we love, such as Afflicted, 13, and of course Incarnation Red, and a whole, whole lot more. And of course, Hemophobia, my upcoming horror podcast, will be there too, so join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or by going to apollopods.com slash plus, that's P-L-U-S. Incarnation Red is a horror anthology podcast, and thus contains material not suitable for all audiences. All content warnings can be found in the episode notes down below. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? Season 3 finale of Incarnation Red is brought to you by all of you listeners. Thank you so, so much for your continued support of the show, and I hope you all enjoy this one. Episode 37 Incarnation I've woken up earlier than expected today. My work often keeps me awake deep into the night, and sleep carries me later into morning as a result, but today I've woken just after seven, not long after sunrise. The world is wet with dew outside. There's people on the street, in their yards. Birds land and depart with equal frequency. The sky is still masked with clouds, just a thin layer. Sunlight comes through pale, getting yellower by the minute. 
and coloring the world. I can't fall back asleep, so I brewed some coffee and just looked out the window for a bit. <clears throat> I apologize. I'm not sure where I was going with that or why I thought to mention it. In any case, to resume discussion on case number 1488. As of now, it has been ten days since my last recording on this case and since my interview with Howard Livingston, which, as detailed, ended tragically. In those ten days, however, I have been more active than ever before in this case, perhaps sped on by the gruesome memory of Livingston, or perhaps by coincidence altogether. After all, the majority of my latest findings have, interestingly enough, come to me, directly. Not I to them. I could make conjecture on what this indicates about the Incarnation's activity, but first let's establish the data itself. In one case, it was by means of a client that new information was found. Or rather, by several clients. It seems that, over time, more and more residents were becoming disturbed, and in some cases maddened, within the very same district. With more and more people growing disturbed, it wasn't long before some began coming to me, each with the same theory as to the source of this maddening influence. A bell tower, located on the local courthouse. This bell supposedly, started ringing more times than appropriate for the given hour. Mechanical malfunction was ruled out, though, because all clients detailed the same experience of asking their friends, or even strangers, if they heard the same thing, met then with denial. One client telling me this would be a question of psychological health. Two telling me this would be a coincidence. But, well, 27 tells a different story. It is perfectly possible that this issue has little to do with the Incarnation, but perhaps at this point, due to the nature of number 1488, it's more productive to assume that the two are related before ruling it out. Related until proven separate, then. In another case, data came by means of, once more, the news. As of a broadcast aired six days ago, there was, not far from here, in the more northern regions of the city, a multiple fatality incident at a suburban home, far enough away to almost be outside city limits. Police were called to the scene by a neighbor who, after not seeing any members of the neighboring family for several days, went to check on them, finding a multitude of corpses and a man, the family's father, one Patrick Tanner, in a state of shock. He was taken into custody immediately, not even resisting arrest, not even, in fact, able to utter a single word. All of this would be ruled out by psychological means, i.e., Patrick, for whatever reason, became mentally unstable and slaughtered his family in its entirety, save for one element. The mother, Sandra's, cause of death, as reported by the news, is completely unknown. Although the children reportedly died of rather violent means, seeming to have been ripped apart by bare hands, Sandra, though dead, seems to have died of, as the interviewed coroner put it, Nothing at all. But it doesn't end there. As the coroner also said, there was blood, matching that of the children found on her hands. And her legs. 
although not broken, seemed to quote-unquote face the wrong direction. When asked for clarification, he refused to comment further. And the soul was sent home even further, when Patrick, not long after arrest, was admitted into a psychological facility. Another calling card of the Incarnation, no doubt. The latest piece of evidence, though, actually came from an acquaintance I hoped not to make again. Namely, Howard Livingston's lawyer, whose name I will not put on record for reasons soon to be relayed. After my last contact with Howard, I wanted nothing to do with his case or his name ever, ever again. But, as it turned out, the evidence brought literally to my doorstep was unrelated completely from Howard. His lawyer came by my place of residence two days ago, knocking on my door and asking to be let in, a request I would not oblige, and I told him so. I explained why, saying that I had nothing to say on the subject of Howard Livingston, at which point he got my attention much more directly. He said, without prior clarification, it's the fireflies again. I asked him what he meant. He told me that he had a file, an evidence file that he felt I should have. He neglected to tell me where he attained it, most likely because it was by illegal means, but he left it with me nonetheless, telling me the file itself would explain its own relevance. He told me he believed in what I was doing, and that he didn't think me responsible for Howard's death. And with that he left. The file he left behind was an unfiltered, unabridged police report on the death of one Connor Wright, dated shortly after Livingston's arrest. This detail is only significant since, though this is conjecture, it is likely the report was kept under high confidentiality as a result of Livingston's case. I say this because, in the report, it is detailed rather carefully that Connor Wright made a widower shortly before his own death was found dead on his driveway by a neighbor who who came upon Connor as his body was being eaten from head to toe by fireflies. I trust that the significance of this detail needs no explanation at this point. And, given that the suicidal man found with Howard upon his arrest had been seen by police expelling fireflies from his already deceased body, I'm willing to bet that this report was kept under wraps to maximize the prosecution's advantage in Howard's case. Or perhaps to prevent unrest. Either way, the lawyer was quite right. It belongs in nobody's hands but mine. In my time collecting and processing this evidence, I have yet to do very much with it. At least, nothing of material, structured conjecture. But I... Well, I... Suspend recording. It is nighttime now. I have spent the better portion of the day putting... something together. Something of more structure and substance than all these scattered threads. Relatively speaking, perhaps... There's no proof, really, of any verity to this all, but... Well, to state the matter at hand, 
in all the varying cases currently filed under the umbrella of case number 1488, totaling as of this moment 211, I have applied a geographical heuristic to link them all in direct succession, mapped out by the date of occurrence found in each case. Looking at a large map of Chicago, including surrounding areas to be safe, I have mapped out each site of influence from each of the 11 cases, linking them with thread in order of occurrence. The locations are as follows. The apartment and disappearance site of David Hardwick, the campsite and arrest site of Josiah Laren, the apartment and alleged disappearance site of Lyle Vernon, the home, as well as long line of multiple homicide locations of Howard Livingston, the home and recently discovered death site of Connor Wright, my place of residence, wherein the paperweight heralded and caused paranormal activity, the apartment building and arrest site of murderer Heath Curtis, the apartment and suicide site of Morgan Hall, the arrest site and frequent street performance location of Alexander Rose, the bell tower cited by multiple clients whose earliest testimony extends to just before the final incident location, the home and site of multiple homicide by Patrick Tanner. These places... Well, it's... It's but a trace hypothesis at this moment, but there is potentially a trajectory mapped out by these locations. A path. A journey from one place to another where the influence seems to have traveled. I have spent quite a bit of time today collecting the geographic coordinates of each site and calculating out the distance traveled between each and... Well, it seems to stay within a certain margin. Never traveling further or shorter than ten miles in any particular direction. And as for the directions it goes in, well... It looks almost like a harsh zigzag pattern never traveling in cardinal directions, exclusively in ordinal directions. Northwest, southwest, northeast, southeast. And measuring the angle of each line, in fact, each is a perfect 45, 135, 225, or 315 degrees. As the crow flies, of course, but... Well, there's no real consistency to the order of directions it goes. It seems to pick one of the four ordinal directions at random, and I suppose... I suppose that's where the pattern ends. And maybe it ought to end there. Maybe there's no real meaning to it. Maybe it was just a day of wasted calculation. Maybe time will tell. For good measure, I will continue to update this map in the case of any more cases related to the inc... I, um, I suppose I should summarize, explain. 
seems that a nearby citizen, a neighbor of mine, you could say, had the impulse, for whatever reason, to kill me. Percy Chaston, a resident of Norwood Park, just a road or two away from me. He was found crouching beneath my window with a very large kitchen knife. This was a few days ago when I last had the chance to record findings, before I was busied with all the fallout from this. Police questions, legal matters. Apparently two passers-by called 911 when they saw him skulking outside my house with the knife. Hence the immediate presence of the police before I had even registered Chaston had come a second time at all. And at their approach, well... Chaston killed himself by... carving my name into his chest. In case there was any doubt as to the Incarnation's influence. What shall we make of this? It's not the first time the Incarnation has possessed someone, nor the first time it has used my name through them in a suicidal fashion. But, but it is the first time one of them has targeted me has come to, to take my life directly. And if that truly is the end of it, the Incarnation's attempt to... to kill me, then what can I do? What can I do? I find myself looking again at the map again at the sketched-out trajectory of violence. I've already added chest into the board, but, well, it doesn't really change anything. His residence is so close to mine it may as well be the same point, and it doesn't even follow the pattern traveling outside of ordinal direction and traveling much less than ten miles, although... Although it's possible, Chaston's possession was a latent effect of the Incarnation's already witnessed activity on this neighborhood from my property. That could be an explanation as to why he was influenced outside of the pattern. Not that there is or has to be a pattern, of course. I mean, there is one, obviously. I can see it there on the map, but... I'm returned again to my previous question. What can I do? What can I do about it? But another matter confuses me. A matter very relevant to Chaston, but not limited to him. Of the eleven, now twelve, incidents linked to the Incarnation, at least three involve suicide and all three of them are considered, for the intents and purposes of number 1488, possession cases. Howard Livingston's possession was accompanied by the suicide of a stranger. Morgan Hall's suicide was accompanied by a note that mentioned me by name. Percy Chaston kills himself by mentioning me by name. And if the Incarnation has possessed others as well, Josiah Laren, Heath Curtis, Alexander Rose, Patrick, or Sandra Tanner, inevitably exiting their bodies in the end, then what? What is it looking for? 
What is it trying to do by taking on the fleshes of others? We have long known its nature to be that of possession, of controlling other individuals against their will, but... But is it just for the violence? Is it just for the momentary destruction, followed by killing or releasing the vessel? Is it just to target my life, and if so, why? It could be simply for the sake of the violence, or even that it is not able to stay inside a body for very long, but... I just can't shake the notion that what it wants, what the Incarnation truly wants, is to pool its energy into a tangible form, a tangible life form, even, to take on flesh permanently. But if that's the case, something must have been lacking in Chaston, lacking in all the others, too. Which then begs the question, what does it need? What does it need in a host to successfully pool its energy, permanently? What does it need? Yes, my, my name is Adam Dwyer. I'm calling to report someone trespassing on my property. I suspect they are violent and... Yes, yes, my address is 6708 West Ardmore Avenue in, in Norwood Park. Yes, please. No, I don't... I, I don't have eyes, though. Summarize events. It is now three o'clock in the morning, the same night as my earlier recording, which, as I'm sure you now know, was interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> 
interrupted by yet another break-in attempt. This time by one, one Matthew Palmer, someone who came to my front door and when I did not answer for reasons that are obvious, he took it upon himself to attempt breaking in. I locked all the doors, turned off all the lights, called the police myself this time, and now Palmer's dead and gone. Off my property, leaving only the bloodstains from the many gunshot wounds that took his life after he rushed at the police officers. Looking violent. Looking insane. But I know better. Not that that matters. There's nothing I can say. Nothing I can tell them of what, of what the truth. The truth behind the murderous hands, behind the blood-filled eyes, the blood puppeting their movements like strings that run deeper, run so much deeper. Deeper than anything else. How we are all just puppets. Just vessels that haven't been picked up yet. And once we are, once we are... One of us then, one of us then! What does it do with us? It discards us. Tosses us away. Returns us to the senseless matter we were before it animated us. All, all to its purposes. But can I say that? Can I say that? No, of course I can't. All they see is me. All they see is my name. The common thread from case to case. They see a murder rate rising. Rising sharply in the city. And they see people who want answers. And they see one answer. Whose house has been the site of two deaths in the last week. But they will not see me. They will not see me. They just see my house. The blood on the grass. The dead man who traveled all the way from Wicker Park to... hard to find. Between one of any number of these locations it could be pooled in some form of energy, material or immaterial. But one thing is for certain. It is pooling. It is searching for a physical form. That much has been made clear by Chaston and Palmer. And whoever else inevitably will be coming for me. And coming soon but it's never able to stay inside of them for very long. Not before they lose their minds and take their lives. No, it needs something more, and it's getting close. This pattern, these coordinates, if I... if I follow it, it could...
me next. And if I follow that pattern, I could meet it there. I see it. I see where it's going. I see... where it'll be next. The trajectory being traced out here isn't a line at all. It's a circle. A jagged, uneven circle, but nonetheless, it's a loop. Palmer's residence, added to the board here, places the most recent site of activity just a short distance from David Hardwick's disappearance site, the earliest site of activity. Assuming Chaston's influence was a latent side effect of my own property's activity, this is the closest two activity sites have been thus far. The closest the incarnation has come to treading old ground. And the distance between these two sites is exactly, exactly 14.14 miles when going in a straight line. But that, you see, that that's not how it travels. We know that it travels in unambiguous, ordinal direction. And, after a quick calculation, 14.14 would be the precise length of a hypotenuse in a right triangle with two 10-mile legs. The intercardinal directions being 90 degrees apart exactly, we can then calculate that, assuming it is attempting to close the circle, its next site of influence would need to be 10 miles northwest or 10 miles southwest of the Palmer residence. Two possible locations. Going east would either take it directly to the Tanner house or farther from the closure of the circle, which, though possible, is unlikely. At least, well, unlikely, relatively speaking. I suppose... I suppose when working with something so formless and untraceable, we take whatever patterns we can see, whether or not they're real or imaginary. Because, quite frankly, we've nothing else to work with. But I've... I've got to try... I've got two, two precise, coordinated locations that I just know will be next. Think of the lives I could save. Think of the, the relief this city needs. The relief... The relief that I need. And think of what will happen once the circle is closed. It's not... It's not what I would ever do, but how many times have I broken that just in the course of this one all-encompassing case? A case like nothing ever seen before on this planet. A whole new type of case demands a whole new type of investigation, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Outside, the sun is beginning to rise. I've 
spent too much energy, I must rest, must sleep. Well, 
If it is otherwise, then... Well, that brings with it the question that I will not ask, but that comes to mind nonetheless. The question of what... What occasion gives you cause to listen back to these tapes? What could have occurred to make them relevant? <coughs> In any case, I suppose I should summarize events. The last recording on this tape was from earlier this night, around 11 p.m., initiated two days after Palmer's attempted break-in on my property. In the two days preceding that recording, I continued my research with relatively little progress until earlier this evening. Well, as the tape reflects, my house was broken into. Successfully. By some... Th some... One, that is. Who was... Well, must have been human. At some point. In the darkness of my house, however, well... He appeared. Very obviously under preternatural influence. Description. Not necessary at this moment. He physically overpowered me, lifted me with just his bare hands, and threw me onto the hardwood floor. Repeatedly. I don't know the exact number of times, but it was enough, I'm decently certain, to put a crack in my hip. I have enough pain to be readily certain of that. He then threw me into the table on which the tape recorder was sitting, nearly destroying it but giving me a chance to escape. I ran out the back door, scrambling my way onto the street, but he was still behind me, and I was barely able to run with my hip. I reached a nearby street with shops and outlets, and I managed my way into an alleyway. He, of course, followed me, and all I could find for self-defense was a bottle, broken on the ground, right down the middle. It should come as no surprise to anyone what occurred next. Not even the authorities who, if they're listening, I assume have already decided my guilt. Because that's just what it... <sighs> I used the bottle for self-defense and stabbed the man to death. If even he was still a man. I went through his pockets and found his wallet to identify him. Turns out he was a man by the name of Paul Larkin. And I made sure to memorize his address, too. I walked back through the night with no one, I desperately hope, around to see me. I got back into my house but didn't settle. I knew then, just as I know now, that the police will be coming soon. It's only a matter of time before Larkin's body is found, the connection is made, and their suspicion snaps shut around me. So, knowing how little time I had and have, I searched Paul Larkin's name, collected all the info I could, but it didn't take long for me to find what I needed. Apparently, some months ago, 
Larkin's wife and infant child were killed in his own house, both on the same night, by a suspect never caught. I think I know the culprit. And despite the fact that blood was found as far as the garage where neither wife nor child was killed, it wasn't Larkin. No, I've seen enough possession cases now to know that Larkin didn't do this alone. And after a quick entry of his address into an online map, his house lies precisely where I calculated it would. Ten miles to the northwest of the Palmer residence, ten miles to the northeast of the Hardwick residence. I gathered up all the equipment I could carry in a pack, including, of course, this tape recorder. I put my bloody clothes in the pack here with it all, as I've no doubt the police will be raiding my house before long. And I left. Took the long, long train ride down here. Here, where I sit now. The Larkin house. The door wasn't locked. And I can't help but wonder if that was on purpose. Then again, who knows? Whoever knows what the Incarnation, given the date of Larkin's possession, goes far back. Long before I opened case number 1488, I have to ask. Am I too late? Is the circle already closed? Or is something more going to happen? Here in this house where the Incarnation has finally led me, where it probably has been leading me the whole time. Here at the end of all patterns, all methods, all testable variables, just where it's most comfortable. Here where there is only me. And if I'm lucky or unlucky, it. Here at the at the nexus of all these findings, and in view of the astonishing distance between them, so vast as to contain perhaps the entire world, I feel the compulsion to wonder. This thing, this invisibly operative idea tying all this together, the incarnation, does it extend? Beyond that, even. Is it? Is it possible? Possible that every case I have ever worked, every case I haven't worked, every time anybody on this planet ever experienced that dark contact with a power outside our realm, outside our dimension, outside our understanding, has it been this? Has it always been the Incarnation. The Incarnation in every case, even... even hers? <sighs> I know there's no testability to that. There's no means of verification. But then, that's what I initially thought of these cases. These cases that led me, after so much circumambulation, here. 
and the sheer scale of it all, such gossamer threads that nevertheless connected. Its vastness, it puts it nearly beyond comprehension, and yet here I am, comprehending it, understanding it. And yet my deepest understanding, cutting to the heart of the influence, brings me still to the same question I had when I first opened this case so long ago. What is it? I don't think I could answer it if I tried. Honestly, sometimes... Sometimes, as a paranormal investigator, I can't help but feel that I'm running in circles. And in the end, the only thing I'm chasing is human nature. The base, dark, and horrific side of human nature, taken on manifestation in these strange cases. Is that... Is that what the Incarnation is? Truly, at its heart. In my pain, I am delirious. Just not thinking straight. And the deepest reaches of my previously conceded phobia have been brushed this night. <laughs> Yet here I am, chasing it, trying to encounter it. Take it on. Seeking that which horrifies me. The irony again stings me, but... Well, I... In this dark, dark living room, I... Feel I can see it more clearly. And better understand why I do what I do. I suppose I feel that... If I can understand the paranormal, if I can grasp it in intellectual terms, perhaps it takes some of the power away from it, but affords me relief to know that there is at least a certain range of objectivity I can reside within, can take defense behind. Knowledge equips me to fight this fear. A truth known to anyone who has ever been afraid before. Known to every client who has ever sought me. Everybody I have ever helped. Known well, so well, to any child that has ever feared the dark. Feared both what resides within the unknown and the unknown itself. And exhaled in relief when the lights were turned back on.
And that is where the tape cuts off. Incarnation Red is created, written, narrated, and edited by CSW. The opening theme was written and performed by Annika Hansen. All music and sound effects used in this podcast are created in-house from scratch. Special thanks to Annika Hansen for contributing voice acting work to this particular episode. For more information and regular updates, follow me on Twitter at CSW underscore horror, or visit my website CSWHorror.com, or like the show's Facebook page, Incarnation Red, as always, spelled R-E-A-D. For behind-the-scenes looks and other scary content, you can follow me on TikTok, or you can follow me on Instagram at Incarnation Red. Thank you for listening.